We are continuing our walk through the book of Ephesians this morning, and for the next two weeks, the scriptures have providentially dealt us the topic of a gospel-centered marriage. I mean, I did not set this up. This is what the scriptures have dealt us. And many of you are aware that this past Friday morning, the Supreme Court of the United States handed down a judiciary decision that has and will redefine marriage in the United States from this point forward. And as your pastor, I want to offer a few thoughts on this before we get into this topic of men in marriage this morning. Because the way this is going to work is we're going to look at men in marriage this week, women in marriage next week. Uh, And hearing this news, I initially went through all different sorts of emotions, maybe like you. Uh, One was just a deep sadness, a sadness of kind of the trajectory of our nation. Uh, Another was kind of an angry approach to this. Then, Then I moved to compassion and now toward great hope. And you ask, how, Ryan, how are you hopeful in this situation? Because as I was reflecting on Paul's epistle to the Ephesians on Saturday morning, one of my professors from seminary quoted saying this, the gospel doesn't need family values to thrive. And I was remembered about the condition of Ephesus when Paul wrote this epistle. Ephesus, a biblical marriage, would have been a very radical thing. That's why Paul wrote Ephesians 5. It wasn't a normal thing. And so this would have been a very radical thing. A man leading his wife sacrificially, a a woman submitting to her husband's God-granted leadership, all for the cause of magnifying King Jesus in marriage. And so I'm hopeful because today and from this point forward, husbands, the way in which we lay down our lives for our wives for the sake of the gospel means more than it ever has before. It's a, it's, a, it's a more radical thing now. And wives, the way you trust and follow your husband's leadership is more than ever before a witness to the gospel. We know that we have a great opportunity to show the, the magnificence and the glory of Jesus through the way that we relate to one another in marriage. And I'm excited about that. And And may we be gracious to those that shout in triumph over the ruling, thinking that they've found liberation in the redefinition of marriage legally. Because many of them will seek refuge from the sexual revolution that our country is going through. And I want New City Church to be a church where people can seek refuge in grace as they find out that the the appearance of liberation that they've sought is not all it's cracked up to be. And so we want to be a church that offers the free grace of Jesus. And so, as Forrest Gump says, now that's all I got to say about that. Let's get into the text that we're looking at this morning. Men, today is your day. So I want you to do whatever it takes for the next hour and a half, I'm just kidding, 35 minutes, to listen in on what the Lord's Word says about men in marriage this morning. And while our text is geared at men that are in the role of husband, I think the implication of the word today will apply to single men or men that seek to be married as well. And ladies, as I said, your week is next week. And men, I know that you uh, may be expecting to maybe get beat up a little bit today. That is not my intention at all. If the Holy Spirit beats you up, He will bring grace and healing and mercy along with it as well. So it's a good thing. Ladies, the weight of responsibility that God has placed on your husband to lead you spiritually is a heavy weight. So I don't want to see any of this kind of nudging going on. Yeah, listen to what he's saying there. I want you to encourage your man. I want you to encourage your husband in his leadership in your home, uh, in the gospel for you. Singles, 
I want to say this to you. Megan and I noticed a trend for singles in the church probably three years ago. And the trend was that for the most part, singles, especially in a suburban context, were taken advantage of and overlooked and on the margins of the church's focus. And so Megan and I began to pray three years ago. We began to pray. At the time, our church was kind of a no-name church. We hadn't even come up with a name yet. We began to pray that this church would be a community where singles could thrive in relationships with other single people and married people, and that God would bring us together seeking his name and his fame together, regardless of our marital status, that we would be a community of people that could thrive together regardless of that. I know that the struggle is real for some of you. Some of you are absolutely dying to get married right now. And you're to the place in your life where you're willing to compromise in some big areas just to be able to get married. And I want to encourage you to stay the course. Trust Jesus. He has got a great plan for your life. And others of you are content to be celibate. Paul says that whether you're single or you're married in 1 Corinthians 7, that it's a gift from God. So I want to encourage you this morning to hold on to the gift that he's given you and seek his best for you in this season of your life. The grace of God, friends, reorders everything in our lives. And what the scriptures teach us in Ephesians 5 today is that this reordering of everything in our lives starts in our homes. As Martin Luther once famously said, he calls, he calls Ephesians 5 and 6 the house fun. And what that is, is the kind of the house table. He says these are kind of Christian ethics for the home. We're looking at how, how we relate to one another in marriage how we relate to our children as parents, and, and how we relate in working kind of relationships. In the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at these things together, how God reorders everything in our, in our lives. And I think the order in which Paul mentions these things in Ephesians 5 is pretty crucial. He says start in the home. He doesn't start with work. Now, as Americans, we would start with our work relationships because typically those are the most important things to Americans. But he starts in the home, then he moves to the children. As Americans also, there's a temptation to idolize our children. He says, no, no, no. We're going to start with the marriage. We're going to start with the, the husband and the wife. And so that's where we're going to start today. And interestingly enough, Paul's instruction for redeemed Christian marriage comes on the heels of last week's sermon that I got to listen to a few bits and pieces of that was all about the spirit-filled filled life. And, and, and I think it's interesting that the, the, the sequence of how Paul mentions these things. And here's the reason why is that what I'm going to tell you today about marriage is going to seem impossible to you, because it is impossible. This is exactly why, men, we need the Holy Spirit to fill our lives, because it's only through His work that any of this will be possible in our marriages. So if today what I tell you seems impossible, that's a good thing, because we need to lean into the Holy Spirit to make this a reality in our marriages. So I have four kids now, and it's fun. Yesterday morning, we were all sitting around as a, as a family of six, and we were, Megan and I were sipping our coffee because we were so tired from the night before. <laughs> and uh, our kids were running around, and our second born, Caden, begins to jump up on the table, and he starts dancing on the table. Now, this isn't that all uncommon of, a, of an occurrence in our house, if you know Caden, but then he kind of throws this phrase out. He's like, hey, Dad, watch me. I'm shaking my booty. 
And I'm like, son, where did you hear that? What's going on here? And then all of a sudden, right after that, our, our, our third-born Roman begins to jump up on the table too and began shaking his booty as well. And they are dancing around on the coffee table, you know, like it's 1999. They are partying like crazy. And Megan and I are just trying to hold it together here. We're laughing so hard we can't contain ourselves. And something occurred to me. Uh, it's something that's very, uh, you're all very aware of, is that Sometimes siblings mimic one another. They do what the older sibling has done. Now, what our text tells us today in Ephesians 5 is that men, we are to mimic our elder brother Jesus in marriage. This is the big idea of where we're going today. Men mimic Jesus in marriage. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 22 through 33. And we're actually going to look at the exact same text both weeks in a row. If you have your Bible, stand up. If you don't have your Bible, stand up. The words will be on the screen. And we're going to read uh, the word of our Lord together here. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as Christ submits to the church, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Father, we come to you. And I'm so thankful that you have timely dealt this scripture to us. Father, may the words of my mouth as I preach the gospel to your people this morning. May I say the words that you would like to be said this morning. May I not overstep my bounds, but I may stay the course that you have set before us this morning. Father, I pray for those that are going to hear this word and feel discouraged. I pray that you would encourage their hearts, that you would show them that there's more grace to be found in Jesus than they could ever imagine. And for those that may hear this word and be proud, Father, I pray that you would take them down a notch, that you would humble them and show them uh, just how great and beautiful Jesus is. And how difficult the road is uh, to lead a gospel-centered marriage, but how valuable it is. And I pray for the wives that would encourage these men and the singles in this room, Father, that you would, you would place a contentment in their heart that would surpass all understanding, regardless of the place that you have them in life right now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In order to look at what Scripture has in mind for men, I think it's important that we look at the distortions of what Scripture does not have in mind. There is a loaded term in what the role of men in marriage has for us in the scriptures here, and it's this, it's this word headship. There's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what this word is, and I want to kind of debunk some of these things. So let's first look at distorted headship, and I want to look at two things, 
two kind of topics, two distortions as we look at this. And the first one is dominance, and the second one is passivity. Uh, These are two distortions of what it means for men to lead in the home when it refers to that term, uh, headship. Paul likens the significance of the husband leading the wife as similar to Christ leading the church. Now, if you think about this, Christ leading the church is like a really important piece of what it means for us to be Christians, right? He hasn't left us on our own. Jesus is king of the world. He's king of the church. And so he likens the same kind of comparison that husbands should lead their wives, should uh, submit uh, to the Lord, should lead their wives as Jesus lays down his life for the church. So he kind of compares these things to one another. So if husbands are not leading their wives sacrificially, we've got to really ask ourselves, is this a Christian marriage or not? And so this is of crucial importance that we understand this. Uh, the leadership that he's talking about when he says headship, as I looked at it this week, it, you inevitably get to this place where headship means authority. Now, for a lot of people, that freaks you out especially if you didn't come from a home uh, where a man led in this way. The gotcha of this, of this definition is kind of summed up in what Jesus says in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So this leadership in the home that men are to have, that God has intended for you to have in your home, is to assume the posture of a servant. We're the chief servants of the home. That's what, that's what the scriptures are teaching us right here. So let's look at dominance. This is the first distortion of headship in the home. Dominance typically looks like this. It looks like a, a forceful kind of chauvinistic approach, meaning that the man thinks this, that I'm the man of this house and whatever I say goes. Men that lead this way, quite frankly, in my opinion, are, are cowards because they lead through fear. They manipulate people because they're fearful men. And no one flourishes in a home like this because the father is so afraid, the husband is so afraid. And this is the way that a very insecure man would lead his home. Some of us have been under a father's leadership or a husband's leadership that have led in this way. And I am terribly sorry that you have experienced that if you have, because you have not experienced what God has intended for a Christian husband or a Christian father to look like. And I know this personally because my mother uh, was under a man's leadership, a stepfather that she had uh, that treated her this way. And I can tell you this, that when you're under this kind of leadership, it, it affects generations of a family. At least in my case it has. And uh, it's just a very dangerous place to be. But if you've experienced this, there is enough grace in Jesus for your healing. And if you've kind of perpetrated this on a family, There's enough grace in Jesus for your repentance. There's time to turn from those ways. And and this is super good news. And I don't need to spend a lot of time on this dominance piece. It's really just, it's, it's fueled by fear and insecurity. It's not what God has intended. So I would say that for every 100 men that we would take a, maybe a, a survey of, maybe one in 100 men have this type of a distortion. The next distortion, passivity, I would say the other 99 probably struggle with. So passivity is the silent killer. And men, if you struggle with this, you are in very good company because I would say that every man in this room struggles with passivity in the leadership of his home in some way. 
And the reason is, is that our first older brother, Adam, taught us how to do this best in the garden, didn't he? When he passed the baton of leadership to his wife, when God had called him to lead. Uh, it was he that took the backseat of leadership in the home. So the question that I have, and the question that we've got to answer is this, is why do men become passive? If they weren't intended to be passive, why do they become this way? Why is this our post-fall kind of default position? Larry Crabb in his book, The Silence of Adam, and if men, if you haven't read this book before, it's a fantastic resource for this subject, says that men have resorted to recipe theology instead of transcendent theology. So what do I mean by that? Well, let me define it. Recipe theology is a way of thinking that keeps its focus on the particulars of life. Things that you can figure out on your own. And the focus of this way of thinking is man, not God. Now, men are really good at this. We're really good at fixing problems, aren't we? We find our identity in making things right. But the problem with this is is that our focus is always on what we can control. There's this idol of control that kind of looms over men that, that struggle with this recipe theology. And what we want to do is we want to be able to figure everything out. And for the things that we can't figure out, we just remain silent. And we just let whatever happens happens. And so we're never willing to walk into the darkness and the chaos of life with the boldness that Christ has put inside of us through his Holy Spirit when we live lives like this. The flip side of this coin is this idea of transcendent theology that Larry Crabb talks about. And he says this, it's a way of thinking that has the big picture of God in view, where man finds his identity in God, not his work. Now I struggle with this just as much as any other man in here. We want to find our identity in our work because we can, we can muster up something, we can put something together, we can show the world what we've done. The focus here is God, not man, in this transcendent theology. And like I said, men do this because we're afraid of the unknown. And the last quote that I'll read from this is this. Larry Crabb says this, Manly men move into the darkness when there are no recipes, when we can't figure it out, when we don't have the answers. We move into the darkness with a bold confidence because we know that Christ dwells inside of us. And it's in this sphere of mystery that we move with confidence in someone that we can trust but never control. That's what it means to be a man of God, especially in marriage, a man in general, as we move into the darkness because God has given us His Spirit and He is with us. The truth about passivity in most cases is that it's just as dangerous as a dominant man that distorts leadership that way. Because life just begins to happen all around you. And all of a sudden your wife is having to have responsibilities that she was never created to have. Spiritual responsibilities is typically the first place that we stop, uh, drop the ball in this case. And there's, there's nothing more, quite frankly, nothing more mysterious than man's relationship to his wife. And men were called to move into the, the chaos and darkness of leading our families to leading our families beyond things that we can control. Because God has given us all the power that we need to be able to do that. What we need is faith in the God that has given us that power. We take orders from a God that can never be controlled but can always be trusted. So what's it look like to move into the mystery of marriage with a godly confidence? What's that look like? What's it look like for a husband to lead a family with this idea of a redeemed kind of headship that God has called us to? 
Well, let's look at it right now. We're going to look at a, a few things here. I want you to remember kind of the big ideas that men mimic Jesus in marriage. And the big question that we ought to be asking ourselves, men, is this. Is your wife more fully alive in Christ because she's married to you? Because really the big thing is this, is that as husbands, our wives should flourish under the leadership that God has given us over the home. That's why He's created us. He's given us these roles in the family. So the first thing is this. Redeemed headship is rooted in creation. This isn't a new thing. Husbands leading wives is not a result of the fall, right? This is something that God has intended for all time. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to read verses 18 through 25 together. Then the Lord God said this, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he, see what he would call them. And whenever the man called every living creature... That was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, listen to this, there was not, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, one of his ribs closed up and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into the woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So what's the point of seeing this? What's the point of us going back to Genesis to look at what God's designed marriage to be? Well, as Matthew Henry was once quoted, he says this, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, to be above him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near to his heart to be loved by him. So redeemed headship in the home it's not chauvinism. It's not where the man just bulks up and says, hey, I'm going to lead this family no matter what it takes. That's not it. It's not feminism. It's not, okay, well, my husband's not doing it, so I'm going to take charge of this thing. It's not egalitarianism, uh, which says that men and women are equal in every part and have equal roles. It's not that, but rather it's this complementary view of our gender roles in marriage, that men and women are equal in value, dignity, and identity, yet they have different and complementary roles in marriage, that we, that we work together, that we're, there's a partnership in the gospel in every marriage. It's this beautiful thing. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 11, and 12. He says this, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. Okay, go on. For as woman was made from man... So man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. This is kind of the great gotcha of the Bible, right? It's like, okay, yeah, I'm the, I'm the man, I'm leading the home. And it's like, well, you weren't born without a woman, buddy, you know? So we work together. And the, the biblical basis of headship and submission in the home is that we hold in equal attention uh, this reality that man and, and woman, husband and wife, are both equal in every sense, but yet complementary. It's this tension that we hold that we work together for the advancement of the gospel in our marriage and the proclamation of the gospel to the world for what it displays. 
Randy Pope, the pastor of Perimeter Church, had some helpful thoughts about this as well. He says that about this scripture, first he wanted to impress the man with his need for the woman. Without her, think about this, he could never accomplish the divine commission to rule over the earth. Men, do you value your wife in this way? That you can't do what God's called you to do, to go and make disciples of the world without your wife. You can't do it without her. Secondly, he demonstrated that the woman was to be a most cherished gift from God to the man. This can be seen by the fact that God presented the woman to the man to be named by him and received as a gift. A gift which the man received very enthusiastically. And lastly, this right here. By creating woman after the man, from the man's own body and presenting her to the man, God gave them both a graphic life lesson of how they were to relate to one another. And that was to relate to one another very intimately. This is different than hanging out with the bros, guys. Ladies, this is different than hanging out with the ladies. There's a complementary, intimate relationship that God has designed to mirror his desire to be close to the church, to his people. Secondly, it's rooted in service and sacrifice. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul pens this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh, wow, that's a big one. We want to look at Christ's sacrifice and then man's sacrifice in marriage. So, so it's kind of modeled after what Christ has done, Christ's sacrifice in the equation. Christ gave himself up so that the church could flourish in relationship with God. He set aside his preference so that the church could fully come alive in this relationship with God. I like to play games with my daughter, Tatum. She's getting to the place where we can kind of actually play some games together, and it's it's not just Candyland, but we're talking like frozen matching game, okay? I mean, like big time here. And so as we, as we kind of taught her how to play this game, uh, she wasn't really good at this game at first. And I, I kind of went into it. I'm pretty competitive, so I was, I was like beating her every time. And I, I could tell she was like starting to get discouraged. I was like, man, I should probably stop. I should, Mike knows what I'm talking about. You're trying to, you're trying to beat your, your kid, and you're like, you're like getting puffed up. You're like, yeah, frozen matching game champ. You know, you're, you're, all, you're all big and bad. And so I started letting Tatum win a little bit. And now I'd put uh, my money on her to destroy any of, you, any of you at Frozen Matching Game. I mean, she knows where to find that Elsa in that Frozen Matching Game, no doubt. But when, when I first taught her how to play, uh, I'd let her win some. Because it, it gave me so much joy to see her win, to see her excitement, even though I was intentionally losing so that she could win. It, that's what a father's love does. You see, that's exactly what... The Father sent Jesus to do. He sent Jesus to lose intentionally so that we could win. And that's the model for what God has given men in marriage. That we lose intentionally so that our wives can flourish. So that they can win. And this is what it means to lead the family. As the church, our marriage to Jesus is so wonderful. Jesus washed feet. He endured shame and gave himself up so that we could come alive in God once again. You see, you can get the gospel without marriage, but you can't get marriage without the gospel. You just simply can't get it. And this is exactly why what's happening in our country right now is such a big deal. It's because you can't get marriage without the gospel. Some of you are trying to get marriage without the gospel. And it's frustrating. It's hard. It's tough. It's only in our submission to King Jesus that marriage makes sense. Because it was modeled after that relationship. Man's sacrifice. 
Because of your God-given role of leadership in the home, men, you have a voice. God has created you to pastor and to shepherd your family. Reminded of Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth. Surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Men, will you lose so that your wife can win in the battle of pride? Will you lay down your life for the sake of the gospel so that your wife can flourish in the marriage that God has put her in with you? Will you do that? Will you be willing to step aside from your preferences, from your desires, in order that your family and your wife can flourish? Because this is what it means to lead. I blew it last week. Any guys blow it last week? A couple of you. I'm in good company. It's good. Sinners are welcome here. I blew it last week. So here's, here's what it looked like. We just had this baby, and I guess that was kind of like a big deal or whatever, fourth baby to family. And so I said, okay, I, I got a little time. I'm going to do a little house project. Well, I got the, you know, got the, got a little help here. We're all at home. I'll, I'll go finish screening in the, the, the porch out back. And so uh, I had overestimated the amount of time that it was going to take to finish the project that I told Megan I wanted to do. I'm sure no one's ever done that before, right guys? I mean, we've never overestimated the amount of time that it's going to take to get a project done. And so what happened was it got really hot. I started getting kind of dehydrated. And I come inside 45 minutes later than I say I'm going to, ready to, to help and to serve my wife. And I've got like heat exhaustion. I can't do anything. I can't even like move. And I blew it. So how did I respond in this situation? How do we respond when we blow it in our marriage? Well, so I kind of walked down the road of saying, you know, it was super hot outside. You know, oh yeah, it's hot. So that's why it took me longer. And then, you know, the screen, it just really wasn't working around the, the wood the way that I thought it was going to. And I started making these excuses. And then the Holy Spirit just kind of stopped me and said, no, you need to repent. You need to lay down your life because you made a promise that you couldn't fulfill. And you've, you've made everyone else suffer because of what you did. And see, that's what happens when men don't lead like, like they're intended to lead. Everyone suffers in the family. Learning to die is where we find life as men. It's a wild thing. Thirdly, redeemed headship is rooted in love and the Word. So I'm going to kind of walk through the rest of this text in Ephesians 5 and just kind of throw out some, some things to, to talk about in this. Ephesians 5.25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up from her. In other words, Paul gives us this picture of agape love, this, this giving, not getting love. That's the love that that God has called us to love our wives with, this giving love. Ephesians 5.26, sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing her with the word. So Jesus cleanses us as his bride. He presents us to the Father without spot. What's he do? He cares for us. He purifies us. He takes responsibility for our purity. Think about that. Jesus takes responsibility for us. He presents us to the Father. So what's this mean for us? There's a spiritual responsibility for us, men. And this is one of the places that's kind of dark. Maybe especially if you didn't have a father that showed you what this looks like. You kind of feel like you're out on your own in no man's land. 
This is why discipleship is so important because in discipleship what happens is, is you get other men in your life that begin to pour into your life even in the places where your father didn't pour into your life. You get formed in the image of Christ through other brothers in the Lord, men. So, men, we must wash our wives with the word. So what's this mean? Physically speaking, when we fail to bathe, we develop an odor. In the same way, our marital relationships will begin to develop a funk and an odor apart from Jesus' love through his blood, washing and cleansing and making us new. Some of us have developed an odor. And we're letting our marriages rot because we're not bathing our wives with the word. The word is what cleanses us. And Christ, the spirit of God comes alongside of us and he applies that word to our marriages and he makes us new. Christian husbands, we must be men of the word. Even if you didn't grow up around the word. You're a man and I know, I know what men do best. They find, they make a way. God created you to be able to make a way when there isn't a way. So if you didn't grow up in a house that, that preaches the word, that someone taught you how to read the Bible, make a way, find a way to learn how to get the word into you so that you can get the word into your family so that your family can operate the way God intended it to operate, to be washed with the word. The problem, as Paul notices in Ephesians 5 right here, is that as men, we have a preoccupation with ourselves. Fixing problems trying to boost our self-esteem. And it's really because we can't see ourselves the way that God has made us. And so we do everything that we can to recover from the shame. And we try to find all sorts of things to get us out of the bondage that we've gotten ourselves into. And what happens in that situation when we're trying to dig ourselves out of that hole is all of the focus, men, is on us. And what Paul says in Ephesians 5 is very contradictory to what our, our senses want to go after. He says, you're going at it from the wrong approach. You focused on yourselves and we've lost sight of those who we're responsible for. And the temptation is to think, I just got to get myself healthy so I can lead my family. And I think what the scriptures teach is that you got to lay down your life. And that's where you'll find it. Lay down your life. Ephesians 5.28, he who loves his wife loves himself. You want to know how to love yourself? Love your wife. Lay down your life. That's how you prove that you love yourself. That's where you find this adornment from Christ when you do what his word says. We've got the order reversed. Just as Jesus has laid down his life to provide for his bride, the church, men lay down their selfishness, insecurity, and pity, and we lay down everything that we are so that our family can flourish. And we, we, what happens is we create this environment for our families to be able to flourish when we do this. So the answer for the lack of our spiritual leadership that all of us suffer from. You think, you think your pastor is exempt from this? No way. No way. Not even close. The answer to this is an enthrallment, a fascination with Christ. That's the way out. As we get caught up in Jesus and everything else works its way out. That's the way out of this, guys. So we've got to do whatever it takes to give ourselves the opportunity to be fascinated with Christ. The, the bottom line is we've got to do whatever it takes to give ourselves the opportunity to be enthralled with Christ. And we, we as men are good at making excuses, just like I did with the deck. You know, oh, the heat, it's real hot. The, you know, I couldn't do what I was supposed to do because this happened. Well, we'll make those excuses spiritually till the end of time. But those that are behind us and under us that God has charged us to lead, 
They'll suffer. We've got to make a way. You've got to make a way to, to, to realign your schedule to be able to, to be around brothers in the Word. You've got to find a way to make it happen. You don't know how to read the Bible? Come and talk to me. We'll set you up with a plan to get the Word inside of you. We've got to do whatever it takes, guys. I mean, the enemy is he's taking every second that he can get when we're not living this way. And, and uh, it's, it's a tragedy, but there's hope. There's hope because we're hearing God's Word right now. Bath time, always fun in our house. You know, bath time in our house is, it's like this. It's, it's like cattle running to a trough full of food. I mean, it's like people start shedding their clothes and running toward the bathtub, and it's just like everybody's going. It's like this beautiful thing where Megan and I get a moment of solace because our kids are all confined in one place. That's what bath time is for us. But here's what I know. Megan and I love it because the kids are contained and they're playing together. But the other thing we love about it is this. I know that if I can just get my kids in the bathtub, they're going to be cleaner than when they went in. Regardless if we get to the, you know, all the soap and the washing and all that. My kids are going to be cleaner just because they were in the water, right? They're going to get cleaner. They're going to smell a little bit better. Dads, husbands, we got to get our kids around the Word. Whatever it takes, we got to get them around the Word. we got to present them to God as cleansed. we got to protect them, to seek their purity, to look out for them, because the world is not looking out for them. That's why God gave your family you. So let's look at the three P's. I'm a pastor, and I like P's and alliterations in general. The three P's of servant leadership as we close this thing up today. Protect, provide, and pastor. This is what God has called us to do, man. Protect, provide, and pastor. In regards to your wife, man, protect her. Know her insecurities. I'm not talking about just having a a 9 millimeter in your nightstand. I'm talking about protecting her spiritually. As our kids are are memorizing, you know our kids memorize scripture in New City Kids. They're memorizing Hebrews 4.12 right now. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Your best protective device that you have for your family is the word of God. Unsheath that sword, fellas. Unsheath that bad boy. Show the enemy how sharp that sword is. It's your only line of defense against the enemy. And with that sword, remind your wife of her identity in Jesus, her beauty in Christ, because Christ has laid down his life for her. Remind her of that. You know, she's tempted to believe all these lies. Lies that she's not beautiful. Lies that she doesn't have it all together. Lies that you don't love her. Protect your wife, men. Be honest about your failings. Ask for her prayer, ask for her wisdom, and start somewhere. Provide. We know what it means to physically provide. This is why we slave away at a job that does not own us, even though we act like it does. Providing physically is great, and you get this. The provision that you're being called to is is sure physical, but also spiritual. To provide spiritual nurture and leadership to your wife and to your family. So the the husband provides an environment for his wife to flourish, as I said earlier today. And your wife was built in fashion to follow a man's lead. And because you are now in this covenant of marriage together, that's your job. God created you 
with the personality he did for a reason. This means you don't have to go out and be some kind of macho man. You can be yourself. Because God created you guys to be in covenant together. That's why you're married. You can be yourself. You can be a, a reserved man and still a very strong spiritual leader. And I think a lot of men that are reserved tend to think that that's not possible. And maybe those men think they want to be someone else. You can be yourself and be a very strong spiritual leader. I mean, I look at a lot of the guys in the Bible seem kind of reserved. I mean, Moses kind of had a speech impediment. He starts throwing off these excuses. God's like, hey, I'll send Aaron with you. You can be a strong spiritual leader. Provide for your family. Serve her. Do your best to present her spotless to Jesus. And lastly, pastor your wife. You're like, hey, that's why I bring her to church on Sunday, dude. That's your job. How do we pastor our wives? Let me tell you where to start. Men are created to be the chief repenters of the home. We lead in showing how to repent. And we've got lots of things to repent of, right? It's our pride that keeps us from that. Do you know when you repent to your wife, when you turn from your sin, and you submit yourself under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? These kind of floodgates unlock of this line of communication that you can now have with your spouse because you are in a humble place. You're in a servant leadership kind of place. Because we own the sin that our family struggles with, <laughs> because we've led them there. I think the temptation is for us to believe that, yeah, yeah she struggles with this. She's kind of dealing with that. Good luck with that. The thing about spiritual leadership is this, is that our families are struggling because we've led them there. Or we've not led them there and they've just ended up there. And that's a heavy thing to, to carry. That's not light. But I, I share this with you in love so that we'll seek the grace of God together. Because that's our hope. Pastor your families. We are created to be the disciples of our home. The church wants to supplement that, but we're created to be the disciples of our home. So, both men and women, husband and wife, single or married, we fully bear God's image, and we mimic God whether you like it or not. His fingerprints are all over all of us. And I want you to hear this. There is something within each of our roles that reveals the nature and character of of God to ourselves in the world. There's something God is revealing to the world through the way that we interact with one another and the way that we see ourselves that is a blessing to the world. And in our God-given gender and marriage roles, as we reveal this to the world, God give us grace to do it well and to do it with humility and also perseverance to fight this good fight of the faith uh, for our families and for ourselves as we seek to follow Jesus together. This is what it means for men to mimic marriage. Let's pray together. Father, we as men want to mimic Jesus in marriage. And we know that this is a terribly difficult thing. This is a very... This, the, the enemy wants to use this as a very condemning thing in our lives. As we think back... About, about all the ways that we've struggled, about all the way, ways that we haven't kind of met the, the, the mark. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't gotten to where we wanted to get to in our leadership of our homes. Father, I pray that you would flood in our hearts this morning uh, the grace that is in your son Jesus, that uh, we, would, we would see that there is an abundance there for us, for failures. In fact, Jesus died for failures like me. Lord, I pray that you'd begin to restore the brokenness of the marriages that are represented in this room. Who wouldn't think we've got to hold it all together and, and just act like everything's okay? Lord, I pray for those that are single in this room that desire to be married one day, or maybe 
are called to celibacy. God, I pray that you would give just such a confidence in your leadership over their lives that they would be content with whatever gift you've given them for this season. Pray that they wouldn't be tempted to compromise, sell out to the enemy. They'd stand strong in the presence of the Lord. Lord, we love you and teach our hearts to be fascinated with Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.